Good morning. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We spent four weeks in four verses looking at the Lord's Supper. Uh, we'll be speeding up the pace a little bit moving forward here. After my eighth grade year of school finished, my class all loaded into a a big bus, and we went down to Sandusky, Ohio, and uh, what Sandusky is known for, maybe for other things I don't know, but the only thing I know it for was Cedar Point, which is an amusement park, a theme park there, and I've never really been able to handle, you know, the spinner rides. I think I get sick in just a matter of moments, Uh, but the ones that go way up high and throw you down fast, those, those are my kind. Uh, there's a ride there overlooking one of the Great Lakes there uh, called the Millennium Force. It takes you 300 feet up, slowly, and then throws you down to the earth about as fast as possible. It tops out at 93 miles an hour. Uh, That's my kind of fun. Uh, I loved the whole experience, terror and all. Uh, But the only reason I enjoyed those rides is because... I assumed that I wouldn't be on the news for the one in a million times where the ride goes off the rail. Uh, I wasn't afraid for my life because I knew things were under control. Uh, Now, I tell you what, if I was riding those same rails in an old beater car that was held to the tracks by nothing but gravity, I wouldn't have enjoyed a single second of that, uh, of the few seconds I had left to live. Having a sense that things are under control radically changes just about any hard experience. Uh, Understanding that somebody somewhere is is in control changes how you go through an experience. When you have the sense that things are absolutely, utterly out of control, it can make you feel pretty weak and powerless. When you feel like, Nobody is in control of this situation and things are just boiling out of control. Uh, It can bring all sorts of fear. What's going to happen next? Uh, It's not a pleasant experience. Today, in our text, as we return here in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we come to a moment in the ministry of Jesus where it appears, from the outside looking in, like things are completely out of control. Uh, This is a a dark moment in the ministry of Jesus. It seems like things are out of control, but nothing could be further from the truth. This event that we're going to be reading about may seem chaotic, uh, and yet it is far from being outside of God's control. So let's read this dark moment in world history uh, in Mark chapter 14. We'll be starting in verse 26 and reading down through verse uh, 52. Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain with here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, or from the chief priests, scribes, and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him not with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. And he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Father, you have sent your precious son into this world. For that, we say thank you. In your kindness, you have brought your gospel of your son to us. And Lord, you have put your word in our hands. For that, we say thank you again. And Lord, you have sent your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, that you would dwell in us by your Spirit. And again, Lord, we say thank you. Help us as we look into your word to transform our hearts, to strengthen us, Lord, to to stand faithful to you in this day. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name, amen. Here in Mark 14, we're going to encounter another one of Mark's sandwiches. Uh, I've mentioned this before, the technique that Mark uses in writing. Uh, these are true events that he's telling us, but we notice that he, he'll put something before and after with something in the middle. You see, it gets arranged that way, and the whole story is meant to be read together. That's why I read it all together like this this morning. We're not going to focus on all of this. Uh, next week, we're going to focus on Jesus' prayer in the garden. This week, we're going to look at the prediction that Jesus makes about the betrayal uh, and the, his disciples fleeing and the, the end where we see that happen. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. So uh, as we look at that, we're going to see that the Lord is faithful and in control even in the face of human sin 
and faithlessness. We'll see that as we consider Judas's betrayal, we will look then at the disciples' failure, and then lastly, we'll see how, in all of it yet, God is in control. Let's consider Judas's betrayal as we see it here uh, in this chapter here. Uh, in one sense, this moment that we're reading about could not be possible apart from Judas. You may recall from earlier in Mark 14 that while Jesus was in Jerusalem, the religious leaders were anxious to find some way possible to apprehend Jesus. They desperately wanted to silence Jesus for his public critique of them, uh, but they didn't know how. Uh, Jesus had dared to oppose them publicly and frankly, and they wanted him dead. But they couldn't get at him. Uh, Jesus was very popular, uh, and, and they didn't know how to, to bring this about. And I'll read the verses again, Mark 14, 1 and 2. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So the religious leaders know that if they just come out in the middle of the day and they seize Jesus, then there is going to be a riot and revolt, and there's going to be bloodshed, and they can't have that. So how are they going to get at Jesus? Uh, He's with his disciples. Uh, He's safe away from them. They're going to need to come up with something, and that's why they are so glad when Judas, in Mark 14, 11, comes to them and says that he will betray Jesus to them. He will hand over Jesus to them. And so, after that, Judas seeks an opportunity to betray Jesus. That opportunity comes when Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray. I think it's interesting, Daniel, uh, when Daniel is righteous and serving in Babylon, and then in Persia, uh, it's in his time of prayer that his enemies seize on him. Remember, they said, if you pray to anybody but the king, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. Well, it's the, the enemy uses Daniel's prayer time to try to ensnare him, and Judas does something similar. He, he knows that the Lord will be praying, knows he'll be in the Mount of Olives, and it's there that Judas goes with this guard. Imagine Jesus could be anywhere in the city or outside of the city, within the parameter. Where is he going to be? Uh, You're only going to be able to take a mob of soldiers so far back and forth all over the place before people end up going home. Uh, The opportunity is limited, and they need to know where to go. And Judas leads them there. Uh, Judas isn't going to get unlimited chances like Delilah had with Samson. Uh, He's got to get it right, in a sense. Uh, the, the leaders can't risk messing this up. And so Judas brings this troop uh, in to apprehend Jesus. In verse 43 of our passage in Mark 14, Mark makes the point that Judas was one of the twelve. And he mentioned that even earlier in Mark 14.10, that Judas was one of the twelve. One of the most shocking facts of Judas betraying Jesus is that he was one of the twelve apostles who Jesus had selected to be with him. He was in that inner group. Uh, Luke's Gospel tells us that Jesus spent all night praying before he chose the apostles. And here, Judas is in the midst of the apostles when he turns on Jesus. Uh, 
he has the audacity to turn against the Lord. If you are familiar with old Western history in America, then you've probably heard of the name Billy the Kid. Uh, He's a notorious gunslinger uh, in the Old West. Uh, He killed a blacksmith at the age of 18. In fact, he killed a lot of people before he himself died at the age of 21. The man who shot Billy the Kid was a man by the name of Sheriff Pat Garrett. Uh, The two had previously been friends, apparently. Uh, And at one point, uh, Pat Garrett captured Billy the Kid, and Billy the Kid was sentenced to be hanged, and yet he broke out, killed two deputies in the process, and got away. Finally, how Pat Garrett caught up with him is he used a mutual acquaintance, and he hid out in the place where the kid was going to stay, and he waited in the shadows. And when Billy the Kid came into the room that he was in, he knew somebody was in the shadows, and he asked, who's there? And Pat Garrett answered him with fire and lead and shot him from the shadows. And when you step back and you look at it, you have a notorious outlaw who's been shot by somebody, and that seems like a good thing. Well, the stories that came out thereafter portrayed Pat Garrett as something of an assassin. And he really didn't look good in light of the the whole story. And it was a a dark cloud that hung over his head the rest of his life. And think about that. One of the things that people didn't like was the fact that he had been friends with Billy the Kid. Uh, People didn't like the fact that he made use of the acquaintances that he had to do him harm. Uh, I think there's something that we just find slimy about people using their relationships to harm somebody, using trust to hurt another person. There's just something in us that we don't like that. Well, think about the reality here. Judas has suffered no wrong from Jesus. Jesus has done nothing either ill in the world, nothing evil, and done nothing against Judas. But Judas is using the relationship that he has with Jesus. He's using that public trust that he has. The disciples don't know what he's doing. The other disciples don't know he's betraying Jesus. He exploits that in order to have Jesus apprehended and eventually killed. Uh, It should be no wonder that as we read through the gospel accounts, there's so often a mention that Judas was one of the twelve. Judas was... Right there with him. He, he was a trusted individual. There, there's shock almost we see in the New Testament over the fact that Judas betrays Jesus. It is a shocking sin, really. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. And he, Judas does this for a pathetic clutch of coins. A handful of silver leads him to betray the Lord of glory. And if all of this wasn't base enough, Judas comes up with a sign so that they know who to apprehend. I mean, in the eyes of the soldiers, it would be a shame if they busted in on this group of disciples and they arrested the wrong person. So Judas wants to help them know who to arrest. So I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go up and I'll, I'll give him a kiss. And that's the man who you should apprehend. Uh, Judas comes up and with hypocrisy says, Rabbi, uh, as if he had learned anything at the feet of Jesus. 
and he goes up and he, he kisses the Lord. And in Luke's account, we see Jesus asked him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, a kiss in this context would have been a, a welcome. It would have been a, a show of goodwill and of love. And yet Judas uses a kiss to mark out Jesus for being apprehended. Judas, this man who was so close to Jesus publicly, on the inside, privately, was as far away from him as possible. In the depths of his heart, Judas turned out to be an enemy of Christ. It's interesting, as we read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 4 14 to 16, we see that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. The author of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you have experienced betrayal in your life, Uh, you know that it leaves a deep mark. Uh, It's a wound that doesn't go away quickly. Jesus experienced a profound betrayal at the hands of Judas. And even in that, he did not sin. That's quite remarkable. Jesus, our sympathetic high priest, can sympathize with us in the betrayals we experienced. You may or may not have handled your betrayal the sin against you, you may not have handled that in a way that honored the Lord. Maybe you did. Uh, Maybe it couldn't be said that you were without sin in that. Uh, I want to encourage you, either way, that your sympathetic high priest, uh, he knows you. Uh, He knows the experience. Firsthand, he has experienced it. And he is there for you. Uh, I want to encourage you to lay it out before him and give it over to him. Perhaps you have sinned in your own heart response. Confess even that to him, and you will find grace. Perhaps you still need help in dealing with a betrayal. You can go to him with that as well. You will find grace and help in your time of need. Jesus experienced the depths of betrayal, and he is able to help us in our weaknesses and in our struggles. Next, first we've seen Judas' betrayal. Uh, Let's... Look for a little bit here at the disciples' failure. In verse 26, uh, we see at the start of what we read, Jesus and his disciples sing a hymn together. That was common during the, the Passover meal and after the Passover meal to be singing psalms together. And they're doing that. Uh, after they sang a hymn together, Jesus speaks some words to them that must have caused their hair to stand up on end. Verse 27 says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus tells them here in verse 11 that they will all fall away from him. The word is in Greek, skandalizo. I think of the word scandalize, means to fall away. They're going to at least temporarily apostatize from Jesus. I don't think that he's saying that they're going to lose their salvation. I don't think that's what he's saying here. Uh, but they're going to turn around from following Jesus and run away. Now, I have to imagine that those must have been extremely hard words to hear from Jesus in that moment. And the disciples didn't take it laying down. Peter steps right up 
And he says that even if everybody else falls away, I'm not going to turn away. Uh, and Jesus' words just get harder. And he, he challenges Peter's uh, bravado there. And he, he says that before that night is out, Peter will have denied him three times. Yet even in the face of that, Peter's insistent. He says even if he has to die with Jesus, he's going to be with him right through the end. And the rest join in. They are ready to die for their master. Now, in many ways, this is a touching moment. Their desire is there. They want to be with their Lord. Uh, But that's just not how it plays out. First, in our passage here, we see that as he takes the disciples with him, and the the three that he brings with him, he asks them to watch and pray, and they can't do it. They seek to stay awake and pray, but they fall asleep. They, They can't stay up. Uh, That becomes simply a foretaste of what happens next. After the prayer, Jesus mentions that the betrayer is at hand. Seems to be a bit of confusion at first. Eventually, it must have dawned on the disciples that things have taken an awful turn for the worst. As somebody lays their hand on Jesus to arrest him, one of the disciples takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And for all the bravado of words and even some of the actions here, the disciples fall short of their aspirations. Uh, In verse 50, we see that they all left him and fled. In verse 51, we see that there was a young man following along with him, trying to follow, and the the guards saw him. They grab him, and the young man has to, to flee and can't even keep his clothes on him. Runs away naked. Now, why? Mark's the only gospel writer to include that detail. Uh, Why is that? Some have suggested that perhaps this was Mark himself as a young boy following along with Jesus. And he writes, shares this about himself in there as a sense of self-abasement. That's possible. Uh, The early church tradition suggests that Mark did not follow the Lord in his earthly ministry. So if that's the case, then I guess that wouldn't be there. Uh, On the other hand, we've seen this in Mark's gospel before. Mark puts a little more emphasis than other gospel writers on the failure of the disciples. Now, that can seem kind of harsh to us, maybe, but there's, there's good medicine for our soul even in that. Uh, he, he puts a little emphasis on that. Uh, many times in Mark's Gospels, we see the disciples failing to understand Jesus. Other times, they fail to believe him. Uh, sometimes they fail to cast out a demon that they should be able to. Uh, and, and here we see the disciples failing in this dark hour. And the idea of this youth fleeing away naked at the end of the story of the disciples all running away may simply uh, compound the, the moment, in a sense. That it's, it's such a hard moment and such a loss, in a sense, for the disciples that they have to flee for their lives, uh, even to the point that somebody had to run away naked. It was that bad of a situation. Uh, Robert Plummer points out uh, a text like Amos 2.16 that describes mighty soldiers having to, to run away naked. These, these great soldiers have been so reduced that they can't even escape with their clothes. Uh, perhaps this is filling out the picture of just how low a moment this is for the disciples. One of the things, in light of this, uh, we, we could be depressed in light of seeing this failure. I don't think that's where we should go with it, though. I want to reread verse 
28. Verse 27, Jesus told them that they're all going to fall away. Verse 28, Jesus says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is going to die. He has already prophesied that multiple times. But Jesus is also going to rise from the dead. And he says here that he's going to go before them to Galilee. Uh, In that statement, we see that Jesus is not going to forsake his disciples. Even though they're going to desert him in his dark hour, he is not going to desert them. The Lord is fully aware of the fickleness of the human heart. And yet, he loves us. And he invites us to come after him. We so often fail to follow the Lord in the ways that we wish we would. Uh, we, in ways that we know we ought to. And yet, he is patient with us. Uh, in the same breath, Jesus tells them that they're going to fail. They're going to fall away. And yet, he is going to go before them to Galilee. Now, obviously, this is no license to sin. Uh, there isn't a disciple in that group who would have assured himself that if he sinned, things were going to go fine anyways. Um, every one of them, to, to the man, planned 100% to be with Christ until death. But in the heat of the moment, they faltered. And Jesus knew that. In fact, the scriptures had declared it. But that did not cause Jesus to give up on them. Uh, he taught them in these final hours And he gave them hope even in the face of their failures. Brothers and sisters, we should take encouragement from this. Uh, Obviously, we should never take God's grace for granted. We never look at sin and say, well, I'll be forgiven as some sort of license to sin. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, 1-2, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. But we can take encouragement that we don't live every day of the Christian life on the brink of being kicked out of the kingdom of Christ. We should take comfort in the patient love of our Savior, who loves us in spite of our failings and through our failings. Uh, One of the traps that Satan uses against the Christian uh, is to utilize our guilt and our shame to drive us away from the Lord and away from other Christians. If he can do that, then the Christian is isolated and is an easier target. Don't be fooled by the schemes of the devil. If you fail, go immediately to the Lord with your failure. And open up to a trusted brother or sister in Christ to pray for you and encourage you. A lot more can be said here about Judas and about the disciples. Uh, There's one last detail here I want to focus on before we're done. Uh, In spite of how chaotic this moment is, we see through the text that God is still in control. For as Crazy as it all is, he's in control. Again, from the outside, this would seem to be the key moment in human history where God is not in control. I mean, think about it. God's son, the Christ, is captured at night in secret uh, at the hands of sinful people. Christ's enemies are successful in their conspiracy to arrest him. The devil has filled Judas, and Judas has plotted against Jesus. The religious leaders, in one sense, are fabulously successful in carrying out their plot against Jesus. Uh, This would seem to be the key moment where the devil wins. Uh, And in his heart, I'm sure the devil was saying, checkmate. But as we read the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament, uh, 
the New Testament authors are unanimous in viewing the matter very differently. There is not a single New Testament author who sees this event as a failure on God's part or as a failure on Christ's part. To the contrary, we see that in the scriptures that God is carrying out his plan even through these evil conspiracies. Jesus himself in our text is fully confident in God's control in this situation. Notice in the text here the kind of certainty that Jesus possesses. And as you look at the other gospel accounts, there's even more detail filled in. Uh, Jesus isn't merely a, a passive victim being yanked through this process. Uh, shocking as he seems to be in command through this process. Uh, he has a full repose in his soul as he walks through these events. He has full faith in his Father, and we see that in the way that he cites Scripture here. Uh, in our passage, he quotes Zechariah 13.7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus understands that there are Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled in the seemingly out-of-control moment. Uh, later, as Jesus is arrested, he confronts the hypocritical nature of his arrest. In verses 48 to 49, he says, And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. There it is again. Let the scriptures be fulfilled. Again, we see Jesus submitting to and fulfilling the prophecies that were spoken so long ago about this night. Now, we know from other gospel accounts that Jesus has the power to stop this in a moment. Uh, in Matthew's account, we see that Jesus says that, uh, that don't they know that he could ask the Father and he would send down 12 legions of angels. Jesus could have stopped this whole thing any moment he wanted to. But you know, he didn't even have to come to that. Uh, Jesus didn't have to go to the garden. Uh, he, he, he could have just simply not gone. I mean, the reality is he knows that Judas is betraying him. Uh, he's aware of that. He's even talking to Judas about it. Uh, and the disciples don't understand it at all. I promise you that Jesus could have evaded arrest better than David hiding from Saul in the wilderness. Uh, it didn't have to come to this moment. And yet the Lord knew it was his Father's will that he walked through this. And so Jesus embraced it. He submitted to his Father's plan he willingly went through all of this. He walked right through it. He had the kind of peace that comes with knowing that things are not out of control. He walks through every one of these. He sees the fulfilling of Scripture in this process. Uh, he could have easily kept himself from this hour, but he embraces it. Now, I do want to say as well, it's not as if God put it into the hearts of the religious leaders to do this. Uh, it's not as if uh, God raised a hatred in their hearts. Certainly, the, the religious leaders, they were doing what they wanted to do. They hated Jesus. That came natural to them. Judas, filled by the devil, did what he did. God is not the author of sin. Uh, all of these actors are doing exactly what they wanted to do. And yet, in the mystery of God, he planned these things out. Uh, he spoke in advance of how these things would happen, and then he fulfilled them. God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. He, he didn't leave our salvation to random chance. Jesus came to be the Savior, and He would see it through to the end. I think there is a real comfort for us that comes from that reality. 
as we read this account. First, as we consider God's control even in this moment, we see that God loves you. God loves us. He did what it took to save us. And he saw it through to the end. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son because he loves us. This difficult scene should remind us that God loves us, and he did what was needed to bring us home. We should also be comforted by the fact that God is in control, even in a chaotic moment like this night. If he is in control, even of that, then he is at the helm of every storm that we have to go through. In those moments of our lives that feel most out of control, we can take comfort that God is not out of control in those moments. There will be extremely hard things that we have to walk through in this life. And yet, there is not a single ounce of pain that we experience that is not loaded with God's good purposes. Everything we suffer has a point in God's economy. We might not be able to see that. We might not be able to understand that. We might not put those pieces together in our lifetime. And yet we can be assured that God does have a plan. Something so horrific as the crucifixion, as this betrayal, all of these things, that was all working into God's plan to save us. If that is true, then we can be assured that the same God is working in our lives. The challenges that we face are not haphazard and accident. It's not that the devil just finally got something over on God and we're just left uh, to deal with it and pick up the pieces. The Lord is leading us through our lives, sometimes through experiences we wish we didn't have. And yet, he has a good plan for us. There is purpose in it. He knows the purpose. We don't always know it. He is faithfully leading us through our lives, and he is is fully in control, even of those hard moments. You see, in this, uh, we see that in this moment in Gethsemane, and it's true of our lives as well. His love and faithfulness shine through, even in the face of human sin and faithlessness. Judas betrays him, his disciples fail him, uh, even we fail him at times, but the Lord is faithful to us, and he's working out his good plans for us. As we come back to this text next week, Lord willing, we'll be considering the prayer of Jesus in the garden and his, his time there before his Father. Uh, we're going to transition now to a time of communion together at Berean.